Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's going on, everybody? My name is Ken M. Thank you so much for joining us this week and joining me in studio. As always, it's the co-host, it's Padawan J. You know, the last couple of weeks, Ken's had to, like, get a crowbar and pry me away from Final Fantasy VII, uh, the remake. Wasn't hard this week because for anyone playing the game, I re- I finished Chapter 12 and needed a minute. And if you were playing Final Fantasy VII Remake and haven't gotten to Chapter 12 yet or finished it, have some tissues nearby. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, this one was the easiest episode since everything is broken down uh, to get Pat in the studio with. Because mm-hmm. it has been plenty. Because I, I finished Chapter 12 and I needed a minute. Because, good God. Yeah, because with everything going on, he has deep dived into Final Fantasy VII the mm-hmm. Remake. I know I'm waiting for the crossover episode with you and Tom from Off the uh, Gaming about this because I, I don't even know if the internet's ready for that. But I hope you're ready for the entertainment edition of the ODPH this week because we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. Mm-hmm. And we have a special surprise later in the episode. A good friend is returning to the show talking about some super-duper music coming out this week. Stay tuned for that. But we want you to join in the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find them on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Join us on Facebook. Instagram, and Twitter, and always use the hashtag ODPH. So let's kick this episode off talking about the latest episode of The Flash. Mm -hmm. Now, you know we have been deep diving in about the season, and we have a lot of opinions of where the direction is going. We know it's going to be a short season with everything going on at C-19, but the flagship of the DC Universe on CW, as Mm -hmm. it is right now, since Arrow's gone. Well, the, the new flagship. The new flagship. Has got a lot to be desired, mm-hmm. and we have a lot to talk about this week's episode. So we are going to be talking spoilers. If you haven't seen the episode, we advise you to pause right now and then join in when you're caught up because we're going to go deep diving in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? Uh, you know what? I actually enjoyed the episode. Uh, finally, things are getting going. You know, the wheels are finally turning. You know, the plot is finally moving out of the mud. It's been stuck in for what feels like three weeks, you know, and I really enjoyed it. I'm kind of split on it. Okay. I did like it a lot better than I did last week's episode because last week's, well, we buried, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And even I tried re-watching it to see, like, maybe I was too harsh on it. No. Last week's episode, they completely botched the landing on it. This one, though, I did like it, but there's only a couple elements that I was like, we're really dragging out. Okay. But we'll kind of get into this as we're discussing because as we jump in, Barry is finally come to the realization that... Iris is not Iris. Mm-hmm. Finally, you know, I get the, to use an English term, we're third person omniscient. You know, we know everything that's going on. And albeit we don't know what they're thinking, mm-hmm. but we know everything that's going on. But, you know, it feels like, and like we, I said last week's show, having known Iris for practically his whole life, you figured he'd have picked up on this a little sooner. But no, it took him throw, her throwing him out of the house to finally figure it out. Right, and as the rest of Team Flash is dealing with this, and mm-hmm. uh, they're on an emotional roller coaster as it stands right now. Joe has been taken out of the picture. Right. He's in witness relocation because Black Hole is taking over Central City. Yep. Barry is kind of have his back against the wall, and the, and the emotional blow of Iris kicking him out has really done the number, and everybody's saying how quiet he's been and how distant he's been. Mm-hmm. And to suddenly find out Cecile has discovered his secret... I don't want to say laboratory, but yeah. it's is 
headquarters. Like, I don't even know how you want to describe it, but he has a whole room dedicated to figuring out that Iris is not the real Iris mm-hmm. and breaks it down as only Barry can, yep. which just sounded like it almost reminded me, dare I say, of like Cisco breaking it down mm-hmm. or it also reminded me of that one shot from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie Day is explaining the plot and this and that. And it's it's the gif and the meme you've seen everywhere where you're you know, trying to explain the connection. and He's got the cigarette in one hand. It just looked like they took that scene from that that idea. Yeah. So as Barry is finally convincing Cecile what's going on, it seems as the mirror clones, or how how do we want to define the team of Iris Singh and Camilla? Uh, mirror clones is fine. All right, the mirror clone squad decides that, okay, we're now acting, since basically Iris had to go and convince the team that she was the real Iris. And mm-hmm. do do some trickery with Ava. She some winds up sleight of hand. Up, yeah, some sleight of hand, which... I, which now I'm really questioning why do they have so many mirrors in, yeah. in, in well, Star Labs? It, well, and it's funny. At one point during the episode, you know, I forget what she this, this is after uh, Barry confronts Iris and he's trying to, like, fight her but not fight her later in the episode. At one point, I'm thinking, well, why don't you just smash all the mirrors? And then they solve that issue. Yeah. They answered that for me. Right. I mean, they, they kind of tiptoe around it. And granted, I know it's a TV show and we have sure. to instill that drama. But it's like for everything that they've been building up where Barry finally comes to reveal and he finally has the proof to say that Iris is the fake one. And then Iris does a sleight of hand. I'm just like, how many mirrors do you have in this place? Mm-hmm. That all well, and even, it wasn't even a mirror. Remember, it was like just anything that reflects an image because we, what we end up finding the device that Barry had built to, to to show that Iris wasn't the real Iris was sitting on, I don't know what they're called, but they're the things you see in hospitals that like the doctors leave their instruments on, mm-hmm. the tray. So it wasn't even an actual mirror. It was just something that reflected an image. It, it just had that mirror vibe to it that maybe that it took me a second to realize because I'm just like, is there really that much glass mm-hmm. that's in Star Labs? I mean, could be. I, I digress because this is where Barry's ace in the hole was. They finally had the proof that Iris was the fake. They showed the picture and then it was flipped. And it was like, nope. So now Barry has been taken off the board. Mm-hmm. And once this happens, the Mirror Clone Squad goes on their their next attack. Because yep. now the Flash is off the board. And where do they go? They go to pay a visit to somebody that I thought was long gone this season. Yeah, so did I. Blood work. Yeah, that was surprising. So they go to see Ramsey and are working out a deal that Ava wants a drop of his blood. Mm-hmm. In exchange, they'll free him and let him go crazy. Right. And but, of course, he's playing chess while they're all playing Chinese checkers. Yeah, he kind of figures out, like, okay, what's going on here? And he's already working ahead of him. He's like, nah, you guys can free me, but mm-hmm. I'll give you the blood. Well, that was the weird thing was, like, they're like, all right, we're going to make a deal. You know, we'll let you go. You give us the blood, and you can do whatever you want, yada, yada. And he's just kind of like... I realize he's pontificating and doing, you know, the, the super villain thing or the villain thing from this a classic trope of monologuing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, he's monologuing. He's a villain. I get that. But I'm like, he's monologuing even too long for a villain. Like, what's the play here? And then, sure enough, yeah, I'm not leaving. I'm just going to step right back in here. Yeah, he steps back because after the mirror Camilla kills herself to short circuit the prison he's in, he's just manipulating the situation and definitely taps into mirror clone iris's mm-hmm. feelings which i'm still trying to figure out how does this work right but he winds up kind of planting a seed that he's up to something and like pat touched upon it's like multi-layered plot building that they're doing because like you said ramsey is playing chess everybody yep. else is playing checkers 
but Chinese Checkers is a harder version, and that's what they've been doing this entire yeah. season. So, like, for Black Hole to be really sitting there and dipping into this, they don't really know what's going on. But then again, I'm sitting there going, how does Ramsey know? Right. But we'll find out as this, the episode goes on. And once the, they get the blood back, Mirror Clone Iris winds up giving Eva the way out of the mirror dimension mm-hmm. she's in, which is still kind of a weird thing. Yeah. But once this is going on, they they now have Barry gets freed because Cecile is finally convinced. Like I, her her acting in this episode was really puzzling. To me. Yeah, I, I feel like there was something that like obviously she got tipped off by something Iris did. I mean, Mirror Iris did or said because I happen to be looking at my phone at the exact minute that happened on the show. But like this was after they locked up Barry. Iris did or said something and and the woman who plays Cecile just kind of like did this facial expression where like she could just kind of like deadpanned and didn't make any mother. And even Iris was like, you okay? And she's like, no, yeah, I'm good. And I'm like, all right, she knows. Yeah. Like Cecile's acting in this, like it just, how she was written in this episode was really kind of like, mm-hmm. I want to say it was like a little deterrent there because it was just like, how quickly do you flip? Right. Cause she went one minute from going, Barry, I believe you. And the handcuffs are on. Yeah, then she handcuffs Barry. She handcuffs Barry into, oh, no, Iris is fit. You know, I get she her powers. She can, you know, sense people and feel people's emotions and this and that. But, like, shouldn't you have been able to do that from the time she was accusing Barry? Yeah. So, I mean, this is just one of those weird scenarios that was like, okay, it didn't really make a lot of sense. And then the other point which I'm bringing up is, like, with Mirror Iris, because Mm. once that Barry is freed and decides to go after her. Mm Mm-hmm. They have this standoff where Mirror Iris turns her hands into knives. Right. And is basically has all these mirrors or reflectable objects inside their apartment. Well, for, well first she's fighting him with, like you said, knives and back and forth. And Barry's, like, like I met said a little bit ago, trying to fight her but also trying not to. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, oh, you got to be aware of, her, of your surroundings. And then the mirror above him, because that's a genius idea, yeah. shatters, and then she just starts stabbing him all over the place. Right, which it just kind of brings up, like, okay, how powerful are you to be dipping in and out of mirrors? And you're obviously ripping through the Flash, who's been depowered from the loss of the speed right. force. Well, depowered. It, he's not fully depowered. It's just it takes a little bit longer. Yeah, he's just a delayed reaction, which, I mean, is not getting anywhere. And I mean, and they also kind of set up that putting the knives through the multiple mirrors with the previous episode where the woman in the mirror dimension confronted her husband through the mirror. And he's like, Oh, you're just, you're just an illusion or whatever it was. He said, and he shattered the mirror and there was that shot on the ground of, yeah, she's still looking at him. But if you looked at all the other pieces on the ground, she was in all the other pieces on the ground. Yeah. It was kind of a weird scenario. Like, like I said, it's just kind of confusing. Like what is the reach of their powers? Because on the other side of the dimension, you still have the real Iris who is sitting there and is still going after Ava because now she realizes that she's been getting played the entire season that they've been having blood or um, the Black Hole organization on. Mm-hmm. And now this causes Ava to lose her stability right? and causes the mirror Iris, instead of finishing off the Flash, mm-hmm. Barry somehow convinces the clone... She grows a conscience. ...to grow a conscience, which I... I didn't really get like no. I, I understand their explanation because their explanation was you're still a reflection of Iris, so thus you still have the feelings of Iris. It, but I feel like it would have been a better, you know, pl- it would have played out better if there had been some sort of conflict. We not like necessarily 
an internal thing with the real Irish struggling to, and then the mirror Irish struggling, like an, an internal thing. But like, if if she was having some sort of like mental tug of like, this is my mission, I have to listen to mother and or whatever it is they call her, you know. And uh, but at the same token, it's you know Iris's conscience, you know, type of thing, just to like have it out of the blue. Go, oh right, I, part of Iris is still in me. I'm gonna do good things. Just kind of didn't work. Yeah, it just was like such. It was too forced. Yeah, it was too forced and too sudden. It was like there was no buildup because prior to this scene. Where, since we've seen Clone Iris show up, has she suddenly had feelings like she's doing the wrong thing? Well, I mean, at the start, when she first showed up, she was show, she was playing, trying to play the real Iris and showing Barry emotion. And well, this and that, but that's acting. That's your fake. Right. You're trying to sell it to the guy. At no point was there ever a moment when she got told to do something or had to go do something. And went, yeah, you know what? That's really not the best idea. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point is like, when did she become sentient that she started having her own right. feelings? I thought that was kind of a stretch. Yeah. I understand where they're going with it. So, okay, I buy it. But right. I was like, okay, this is really forced. Mm-hmm. And then once this happens that the mirror clone Iris is now breaking down, yeah. Ava decides to destroy her, mm-hmm. which was definitely... Not a surprise, though. Not a surprise. You, kind of, you think about it like you've seen in other movies and TV shows where you've got somebody who's the villain and all of a sudden they turn, you know, they, they flip. They, they turn baby face to use a wrestling term. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now you've got a person that up to this point was very loyal and arguably her her lieutenant, her right hand person that all of a sudden their loyalties have flipped and that they know a lot and they know the entire plan. And she knows what Ava wants to do. And, and I can understand why Ava killed her because she knows everything. That's not a good thing for her to be, like, chummy with Barry and willing to talk to Barry right now. No, I mean, that point made sense. You knew Ava was going to take him out. Like, I mean, how do these clones stay alive? Right. They, they can't. I mean, you're, you're going to start dealing with, like, Peter Parker clone saga stuff, which yeah. nobody yeah. wants to see. Nobody. Yeah. So it just winds up that Ava winds up walking out of the dimension because she has Bloodworks blood, right. which still hasn't been explained how that causes a doorway to walk in there and go. Like, I I still was like, okay, maybe a little more explanation about this, but we have reasons. I chalk it up to science. Yeah. yeah, it was just like, I just was like, okay, so she walks through, but since the Flash got his ass kicked by Clone Iris, mm-hmm. she decides to make the ultimate dumb mistake. This is Ava. Okay. She doesn't kill him. That, yeah, that's true. That does usually come back she, to haunt you. She's like, well, you're powerless. There's no reason to do this. Yeah. And then she also tips the hand of like, well, I've also cloned Singh and I've cloned Camilla. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why would you tip your hand? That's such a super villain move. Yeah. Like, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Don't get me wrong. But it's also like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I just, I sit there and I struggle with this. It's like, you you completely went like, you know, twirling mustache villain. Huh, I'm going to tell you my yeah. entire plan. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing that you've just now tipped off Barry, but you didn't finish him. So what do you think he's going to do? He's part of the Justice League. Like, did you, have you not been sitting there watching Crisis? Mm-hmm. Did you not live through Crisis? So, see, that's why the only villain who ever had it right when they had the hero dead to rights was Goldfinger, where he, you know, well, do you expect me to talk? No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die. Yeah. And now, especially that you, you have, you know, the highest ranking officer in Central City, City David Singh. Yep. You've now tipped off. Okay, well, do you now have the police working for you? Yep. You now have Camilla, which that's still kind of a weird situation. I'm surprised they didn't have the mayor. Yeah, I was too. Like, as much as they want to control everything and liberate everybody, okay, having, you know, 
having Iris, okay, you're taking out the Flash and you're taking out kind of the, the meta-human aspect of it. Okay, you got the head of the police force. That makes sense. But why not have the mayor? Then you kind of got control of everything. That would make logical sense. But then again, I understand Flash doesn't really deal with that kind of like serious level thinking yeah, villains. That's true. At times. I mean, Zoom and, and, and Reverse Flash are usually yeah. on that kind of level yeah. of thinking yeah. world domination. Yeah. For being a super secret spy organization. But at the same token, though, Ava's had like, what, 20 some odd years or however many decades to think about this? Allegedly. I like, mean, they bring it up in the episode. I think Iris brings it up to her in the episode that, like, oh, you you sat here for how many years, how many decades, thinking you'd be saved, and he didn't come for you. Like, okay, you had time to think about this. You didn't think about getting the mayor? I don't think that she really thought this through. Probably to, not. To I a mean, degree. she left Flash alive, so clearly not. Yeah, the fact that you leave Flash alive, the fact that you only have a couple clones here and there, unless it's revealed she has more, then I'll, then, yeah. uh, then I'll backtrack on that. Yeah. But for what we have right now, it's like you're now going to liberate the world, as she said. Yeah. Uh, I don't really like your odds. No, really don't. No, because Carver, her husband, it seems like he's on point that he's taking out different pieces. Still don't trust him. Still don't, but still don't trust that out. It's like spy versus spy right now. Yeah, it's like who do you root for? Yeah, you know, it's like if Hydra were to split off into two separate groups in the comics, and Cap had to co fight both of them. Yeah, like that's the whole thing about that. It's like you're not really rooting for anybody, and there's not really like a real antagonist unless how is Flash going to take down both of them? It's NWO Red versus NWO. What was it? Black, white, uh, or Hollywood? Holly, yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, the NWO. Wolfpack versus the Red. Yeah, it was just like how did what what really makes sense here? Because like I just don't understand that. No, and it just it just did not have anything clicking for this. But this is where we're going with the episode. So okay, I get it. Let it go. Sure. Do as it do. And so where we wind up leaving the episode was Barry and the real Iris, like having that, you know, star-crossed lover touching the glass. That was nice. It was nice, but man, that drug. It dragged out, and I fully expected there to be like some kind of mystical, unexplained thing that like brought them back together. Just like as heartfelt as it was. I kind of thought, oh, maybe that's going to bring her back because reasons, but it didn't. Well, I figured that if I wasn't mistaken for what Mirror Clone Iris threw the bloodwork blood against the mirror, there's still some mm-hmm. in that vial. Yeah. So yeah. what happens there? Does Barry find it? I'm assuming he does. I would hope so. But how do they figure this out? Unless, of course, bloodwork tries working to deal with him, and then you're it's just going to get messy as it goes on. Mm-hmm. But I thought that that scene kind of drove me nuts that it just a drug. Like, mm-hmm. that was like a good, what, eight minutes? Nah, a little less. Maybe, I'll, I'll say six. I'll say it was because it was right as they finished the episode. Yeah. Because they didn't really touch upon anybody else in, in Team Flash. Well, you opened the episode and we finally got the answer to, we finally got an explanation of, okay, like a, however many episodes ago they said, oh, we got to build our own Speed Force and they've done nothing. Yeah. But we finally got some information on that that, okay, they're working on it. They got a device they're trying to use. And it's not working, so okay, they're trying to work on that. And then uh, Elongated Man and Cisco went to go talk to Caitlin, and she was having her own issues, which I guess we're going to get her mother back now. Yeah, because suddenly she's still dealing with the repercussions of sunshine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's going to be a kind of a subplot moving forward. I don't exactly yeah. know where that's going with. But how they're kind of treating the rest of Team Flash this season, I'm not really, like, all in on. Yeah. Because we we had the great Ralph and Sue storyline going, and then Sue is completely gone this episode. We're going to jump back to Caitlin. Caitlin's been gone for a couple episodes. Like, the pacing on this is kind of reminding me like a Walking Dead a little bit, and I, yeah. Don't, I, yeah. I don't like that. I, I sit there and I go, okay, well, be a little continuous. Maybe just like a little 
five minutes in each episode, so mm-hmm. you still have you know the connection with the story. But to disappear for multiple episodes is like not really happening. I will say though, for next week's episode, as they still are going with, I believe two more episodes, mm-hmm. and then they're done. Yeah, I believe so for the season. They are bringing back Godspeed, who uh-huh. is a more uh, more recent villain. Yep. That I know was briefly in Flash this season. Yep. But now is going to be coming back, and what that has to deal with. I'm not really sure, but I am very excited to see him come back. Oh, it's going to be interesting to see him come back, and I think we're finally, and this has kind of been one of my other things that's kind of bugged me with the show, is that, okay, we know the speed force is gone. He has a finite amount of speed left. You know, it's kind of bugged me. It's not necessarily something like I'm angry over. It's just kind of like, all right, if he's got a finite amount of speed left, he's really not showing any signs of it. Okay, yeah, he's got the watch on. It's got the color indicator, which, you know, how much is left. I think at this point he's in red, so he's supposed to be low. But, like, you would think, okay, he's in red. He's low on speed, you know, the amount of speed he has left. You'd think there'd be slip-ups that, like, you know, there he was using the speed force, I think, last the episode to dodge one of Iris's, uh, Mirror Iris's knives. Mm-hmm. And he kind of flawlessly did it. Now, admittedly, he still got caught. He still got hurt. But I feel like there aren't enough moments where, you know, he's running or he's doing like there was the there was the episode two episodes ago where he used his speed to save Joe and he stopped the one bullet. But the other one didn't graze him. I feel like the more. OK, that shows. OK, he doesn't have the best, the best speed. I feel like the more appropriate thing in, in some instances is like, oh, he slips. Oh, hey, it just stops. Mm hmm. But and maybe we'll get that with the next episode. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, Godspeed, like I say, has been a more recent Flash villain. I know that he was back in the Rebirth um, mm-hmm. era when yep. they when they kicked off that storyline. So I understand that, and I'm I'd be kind of interested to see how they flesh him out a little bit for yeah. the show. Because if they're not going to go with the classic rogues, you have one that's pr- fairly established. I mean, people do know who Godspeed is if you read the Flash. So I'm excited to see where we get a little more fully development on this and where. Barry maybe is going to siphon off his speed. I don't know. Right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. But overall, Flash came back, was looking pretty good. Legends, pretty set, set quote for the most part. Would you yeah, say? I'd say. I mean, it was nice to see all the uh, recurrences appear on screen together. That was fun. Yeah. I mean, Legends was pretty straightforward this yeah. week. Like, nothing really super crazy right home no. about, except now they're trying to set up uh, John Constantine having a little romance going on again. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, 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 I'm sitting here just kind John of Constantine and romance. It usually doesn't end well for the other person. It never ends well for anybody. Yeah. when this happens. Yeah. So the fact that now he's looking like it's he's going to wind up with Zari and whatever is going to happen there. Appreciated the Vandal Savage uh, shout out from when they were in hell. They were like, Van- "Who's Vandal Savage?" And I went, "Oh shit." <laughs> well, it'd be interesting if they brought him back and make yeah. it a full circle. Because I, I wouldn't yeah. mind seeing that. I mean, he can make an appearance when they're in hell. I, I would imagine that Vandal Savage, for everything he's done, is in hell. Oh, I would imagine so. But Vandal Savage <laughs> is a very unique character to write. So he, He's like Venom or Carnage. You can't keep him down. No, not really. I mean, when he's written well in the comics, he's very good. Uh, mm-hmm. I know the first run on Legends kind of very mixed. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind seeing a re-up. Maybe next season make him the new Big Bad and kind sure. of see what you can do from there. Sure. But overall, like, Legends was pretty straightforward, so I'm yeah. not going to deep dive into that much. I still got to catch up on the other CW shows. Yeah, Supergirl comes back this Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. But the big one with Batwoman was I know it addressed a, a burning question that I know a lot of people had, and that's where's Joker? Because you can't have Gotham or, or a Bat show, I guess you could say, without Joker. Uh, long and the short of it is he did. Yeah. You, you know, it, Whoa. It, be, well, because Kate, you know, is dealing with having killed somebody and you know oh i broke the one rule bruce wouldn't break 
And it was told to her that, eh, well, that's not exactly the case that he killed Joker. So, you know, a little disappointing that we won't see at least the Joker we're familiar with on on the show. I, I'm, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they can't, they make some new type of Joker, you know. But at the same token, it makes sense because much like when you, there's a new uh, Batman uh, actor cast as Batman or there's a new actor cast as Superman, there's a lot of gravity and a lot of, you know, expectations that come with playing the role because you're having to build off of the legacies that come before you. So, you know, in the case of, you know, Joker, you have, you know, the fantastic performances from, you know, from the Adam West TV series to, you know, Jack Nicholson in the films to Heath Ledger's incredible performance to even Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal in the Joker. We won't talk about uh, Suicide Squad portrayal because, hey, that didn't happen. Nope. You know, but there's a lot of gravity and a lot of expectations that come with that. And, just with everything they've got planned with the films, you know, I, I'm not surprised that he's not going to appear on the show just because I'm not sure as good as the shows are and as good as they've done portrayals, I'm not sure they'd be able to pull it off. No, Joker should be kept away from Batwoman. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know in the comics if they've had a interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody hit us up on hashtag ODPH. And if, if so, because I to my recollection, they have not. And if they really are trying to establish the Dark Knight Returns universe, because it, when they touch upon Kevin Conroy right. killing Superman and, and, and that whole nonsense when that was going on, I you can kind of get that vibe because if you, yeah. if you ever read Dark Knight Returns, well, it is what it is. Yeah. So I, I'm not really that upset that they're not doing that. And plus, I think it would also help Batwoman if they didn't kind of bring in so many right. classic Batman villains. I mean, it makes sense to have you know, Penguin running around or Mr. Freeze running yeah. around or, or Two-Face running around because, yeah, they're Batman villains and they're kind of like antagonists with him. But at the end of the day, you know, Batman's just the guy that gets in their way and stops them. Their ultimate goal is they want to run Gotham. They want to do, you know, whatever with Gotham. Joker just wants to screw with Batman. He just wants to, you know, poke, poke his buttons and, and just push him over the edge. Gotham's just the means to the end. Penguin wants to run Gotham. You know, Two-Face wants to be the, the head guy in Gotham. Like, it makes sense for her to run into them. Joker, yeah, not so much. Yeah, I could definitely see Penguin. Uh, Two-Face, I like, I don't know. Like, there's so much tied in with his relationship with Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That I don't know if it would necessarily translate. Like, I know they the when um, they've mentioned, like, some other, like, lower ones mm-hmm. get mentioned. Like, I, I, and I think that's uh, that's okay. Sure. Because I think for Kate Kane to really excel as a character, she needs to really have her own gallery. And, yeah. And, like, I know, like, we're very critical when they do this with Superman. Mm-hmm. And there's only, like, someone, like, I know when they had Mentallo. Yeah. Like, come on, Supergirl. Uh, like, that makes sense because he's not a big bad. I know they've done Lex Luthor, and it, it's worked. Sure. But they also had Lena Luthor to introduce. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying like they should completely avoid the Joker coming out the gate, but if they want to kind of tiptoe around it and not introduce him, mm-hmm. I'd be okay with it. And you know what? I'll tell you a perfect person they should introduce now. Okay. Punchline. Okay. The mania is crazy. If Batwoman wants to do that, you set that up against one versus two. Yeah. I'm just saying it's it's an open door to really tell some stories because Punchline is such a brand new character, but the mania at the comic shops for any appearance of her right now is huge. Yeah. Capitalize on it, yeah. CW. Like, I know when everything gets up and running again, it's something I think they should look into. Yeah. And allude to the Joker, and then if you really want to bring it in, I mean, you can definitely do it. 
so much stuff going on with CW. Mm-hmm. And I know that we still got Stargirl coming down the pike too. Yep. I'm really I'm hearing a lot of good things about that, so I definitely want to catch that when it comes out. But we got to see how everybody finishes out because we only know there's a couple more episodes of each, I believe, show. Mm, I, yeah, I believe so. With everything going on at C19, we're trying to really find out and get some updates of when stuff is getting released because mm-hmm. we definitely know at least Flash is coming back next week. Right. We know when Flash is going to end. No real word on any of the other ones because I know Legends, it just started. It's got a boatload more episodes left if you go to their IMDb page. But it's a matter of, you know, how far they got in filming. Right. So we don't really have that answer just yet, mm-hmm. but we are searching. So when we yep. do, we'll definitely pass along. But let us know what you think, though, of this past week's uh, CW shows. What did you think of Flash? Are, you, are we being too critical of it, or are we right on the money with it? And what's your take on the storyline going forward? Because I know they only got a couple more left, so they're going to end on a semi-cliffhanger, mm-hmm. you know, season finale. So yep. what's your vibe on that? What's your vibe on Legends? What is your vibe on everything else going on in the CW universe? We definitely want to know. So hit us up on the social media accounts. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and I guess we have to say continue with the happy birthdays for DC comic characters. I mean, I'm wishing one of them happy birthday. If I wish the other one happy birthday, I might get acid in my face. This is very true, and this kind of flew under the radar for us, but obviously with everything going on, I was reading through a couple different articles, and I did not realize until we were just talking about things that speak on the show, Joker and Catwoman Mm -hmm. both turn 80 this year. Looking pretty good for 80 years old. Man, it is just crazy to see how long these characters have lasted. Yeah. I mean, obviously, being involved with Batman, you know this was going to happen from out the gate. Mm-hmm. And you obviously know that these characters are just such an such a huge part of the Batman universe. Well, not just the Batman universe, but pop culture in general. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, they've just transcended just from where they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to fathom where Batman would be and just how they've just really elevated where his status is and where they have now just grown into their own cultural icons Mm -hmm. too. I mean, for figuring around, both of them have been around since 1940. Okay. Batman one was the appearance for both. Okay. So that, and that's kind of weird that just they both appeared in the same issue. Right. Yeah. Cause I know when I was reading some of the early issues of Superman, it wasn't until, you know, from action comics issue one, it wasn't until I want to say, 25 or 26 before Lex Luthor showed up and it wasn't even he wasn't even called Lex Luthor I think he was either he was either called just Lex or just Luthor right and he was kind of, he was kind of like the very you know 
villain of their time where it's like, you know, they got a plan. They're trying to do the plan. He foils the plan. And, ah, shucks. You foiled my plan. I'm going to get I'm running away. Yeah, but just see how, I mean, these characters have just generated, yeah. you know, throughout the years. And obviously, both are created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Jerry Robinson did help with uh, creating the mm-hmm. Joker, so we got to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. And just to see, like, how Batman number one kicked off everything going on with this yeah. is absolutely wild. So to see where they've gone and how Joker, Pat, I guess, say, in looking at 80 years of the Joker, mm-hmm. let's start with there first. Yeah. What is the first thing come to mind? What do you think is the legacy? What do you think is the lasting impact? The laugh. I think no matter what person you think of playing the Joker, whether it's Heath Ledger, Joaquin Phoenix, Jack Nicholson, or even uh, Mark Hamill, mm-hmm. I think the, the well, it's like a one one a type of thing because they're they're linked. You think of the smile, and I think you think of the laugh. Because there's always those iconic moments where they laugh. Mark Hamill's got a list a mile long of just laughs. You know, from Jack Nicholson's portrayal in the in the original Batman film, the Heath Ledger's legendary performance in The Dark Knight. I with Joker, I think it's the laugh. It for me, it is just the true epitome of what a evil supervillain is. And a person who just doesn't give a flying you-know-what. Well, to say about how a villain makes the hero. Yeah. This is the prime example that you'd look to. Uh-huh. Batman, for being as focused and determined and, and to the letter and logical of, uh-huh. of every action he takes. Yeah. The Joker is pure, unhinged insanity. Yeah. But yet is so calculating in his attacks. Yeah. That he is the unpredictable wild card that the Batman struggles to defeat every time. Mm -hmm. And to look over the lineage of 80 years and how he's been depicted in comics, and just from how the original offset still was kind of deep diving into where he was at the time. And and just to see how, obviously, over the years, he's just gone more manic and more unhinged and more insane. And to see just, like, the different interpretations. I mean, I always say the the perfect Joker story is 1988's The Killing Joke yeah, by Alan Moore. That's I mean, up there. That, to me, there is no other true story of how the to explain the Joker. Mm-hmm. And I know they kind of deep dive into what you can consider as an interpretation of his character. Yeah. And how, I mean, look at how elements of that was brought into the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell the influence. It on it. He, Dave, uh, the director said that, oh, we're not basing this off of any of the, any comic adaptation. Okay, that might be the case, but you borrowed a little bit from Killing Joke. Oh, you you definitely borrowed. You cannot say that you wrote that movie without borrowing from Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. Killing Joke is an absolute masterpiece in insanity. Oh yeah, I mean it's brilliant, but it is just shows how one bad day can force somebody <laughs> into yeah. becoming the Joker. Yeah. That's very true. And it's just wild to see just how much of a thorn he's been in Batman's side, the countless victims he's gone through. Well, not just Batman's side, but Gotham's side. Because you look look at Batman's lineage, and okay, he's had villains come and go. He's had villains that get locked up for a while and don't show up for a long time, and then eventually they get out. Joker, you you know, he's the rash you just can't put away. No, he definitely isn't. And it goes to show just just how crazy and calculating works mm-hmm. in his fi- in his feature because 
He, he's always got this, the signature laugh like you talk about, the, yeah. the crazy smile, the green hair, the look, and just no matter what Batman does, he can't stop the Joker. No. And the Joker just goes out of his way. Like It's the, it's the weird love-hate relationship. He well, has I mean, he could stop the Joker, but the Joker knows he can't because in order to stop the Joker, he's got to cross that one line he won't cross. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and it's completely... You know, he knows this, too. I mean, yeah. he knows Batman better than I think anybody knows Batman Yeah, because he knows he can push Batman's buttons. He knows what buttons to push. And he knows he might get the teeth knocked out of him. And he might get put into a coma from getting beaten so much. But he knows at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to come back because you won't kill me. Mm-hmm. And he presses that issue every time. And taking a look at what he's done from, you know, paralyzing Barbara Gordon. Yeah. To Jason Todd and the phone number. Hello. I mean... To go more up to date, even when Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo has written them, and Death Death in the Family. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to see an endgame and just how he broke him down and yeah. just to see where that has gone. And now James Tinian's going to start up the Joker War and go from there. And Tom King's interpretation. Everybody has a different version of Joker, right, too. Right, right. And I think it just kind of is the show of what goes on with that. And just to see that everybody has a different idea of it. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, in Snyder's death of the family, I should say rather, not death in the family, he goes out of his way to say about how it's a weird love-hate relationship. And I I think the storyline is so creepy and yet brilliant at the same time Mm -hmm. and touches upon some elements that you don't really fathom. And then even when they have the re-up and and Joker comes right back for Endgame. Right. And see how that story plays out. And then Tom King, I mean, never really touched upon it too much, except for the Joker War and Riddles, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic read, too. And even when they kind of deal with the wedding yeah, and just a little prelude, you just see that the Joker is just somebody that you can't figure out. And I think that that's why comic fans really enjoy reading him. Well, and he's also very interesting because he knows Batman's identity. And in any other instance... You know, a Lex Luthor or a Sinestro or pick your villain, you know, the your hero's arch villain, like their number one villain. You know, they would be screaming that from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. They'd go to the top of the mountains and let everybody know, that, hey, Superman is Clark Kent. Obviously, but we're talking before he outed himself and revealed his identity to the world. You know, but Joker knows this. And people have brought it up to him on a couple of occasions, like, hey, why don't you tell everybody who he is? You know who he is. And he's gone. He's said, ah, I could, but that'd take the fun out of it. Yeah, except now it seems like Tinian's going to actually touch upon that. Oh, that could be. I don't, yeah, the Joker War is going to be absolutely insane when that comes out. Like, I, I don't know where they're going to go with it, but something's really going to happen. And to see how every writer is taking their different shot with them, too. Mm-hmm. You take a look at how Joker has resonated on TV and movies, too. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at Cesar Romero doing oh, you know, yeah. the original Adam West 1960s yeah. Batman yeah. to how Christian Bale had to go fight Heath Ledger's interpretation of him, which mm-hmm. to me I think is the perfect Joker yeah. in, in my opinion. Matt Hamill or Mark Hamill's up there, though. Oh, yeah. It's it's two sides of it. Of a, it's two different sides of the same coin, though. I like both of them. Like it, It's hard for me to pick which one I like over the other just because – they're the same character, but they're so night and day different. Mm-hmm. In, and, in terms of the pure anarchy and just you don't know what they're going to do, Joker, I love Heath Ledger's. Oh, yeah. You know, but at the same token, just the the wacky, crazy punchline one-liners, you know, but still a threat Joker, I love Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah. And Jack Nicholson's Joker is incredible, too. Mark Hamill still has the greatest Joker laugh of all time from Mask of the Phantasm. 
Oh, fantastic! Yeah, fantastic. And end of mass, and the end of Mask of the Phantasm with Joker's just falls to his knees, just you know, dead weight laughs while Andrea's holding him is amazing. Look it up on YouTube. And I think that's another point that really resonates with fans is just how far is the line to cross? Uh huh. And Joker finds a way to really push it, no matter what story you read him in. And especially like, you think of his lineage and just everything he's done. Just when you think he's at his most craziest, mm-hmm. that like you've hit the wall of like, all right. This is as crazy as he's going to get. It won't get any worse than this. He finds a sledgehammer and goes through that wall. Oh, yeah. And it just goes to show just how brutal he can be, but yet how calculating. And like, mm-hmm. I, I know I, I keep saying calculating, but it's true because it is just, you say organized chaos. Mm-hmm. He's organized insanity. Yeah. Because for every interpretation he has, he has a plan. It follows through. The, yeah. It, it, there's a, 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 a weird sense of brilliance with it. Because he just doesn't do anything for no reason. Even, right. Even take a look at when he was in the early Detective Comics uh, recently when he had somebody cut his face off. Oh, yeah. And was like, why? And he wanted to establish a point with it. Like, just that kind of sheer insanity mm-hmm. resonates with fans. They're just saying just how evil could somebody get and just to see how great Batman has to be to overcome him. Right. I mean, it's just wild to think. That in 80 years and the interpretations you've seen, even when Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. even that one. Yeah, that was different. I mean, I mean, everybody's got a different take on the Joker, but it still just resonates of why he's one of the best villains of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has to be up there with the Lex Luthor's, the Doctor Dooms. I mean, just the pure evil of villains. Oh, yeah. And what really makes it so much for the heroes and you root for heroes mm-hmm. to see, like, how can you overcome such odds? and. The Joker just lives to just see the world burn. Yeah. And see how every time we have the different interpretation, it's still this underlying theme, but yet we have a different look each time. I know when the Jeff Johns series comes out, and allegedly it's all set to drop, uh, the three Joker series, we're going to get the explanation of the Joker's origin. Okay. Um, I'm, I don't know if that's going to ruin the legacy or not. I, yeah. I, I don't think so. I, Jeff I, feel, I feel like it's going to be, you know, if we ever learned Yoda's, uh, where Yoda's from and Yoda's lineage and all that. Like, Yoda's history is very, even Mace Windu's, you know, history is very much shrouded in secrecy in terms of Star Wars. And, and it's something that, like, I've thought about, you know, oh, it'd be cool to learn, but at the same token, I'm good not knowing. I feel like it's the same for the Joker. I like the mystery. I like the intrigue. I like the every time he tells his origin story, it's different. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Joker has carved his own legacy, and where he's going to go from here is anybody's guess. And then to flip the coin to Catwoman yeah. and to see where she has come in 80 years yeah, and really established, you know, from being the, you know, foil to Batman to being, I want to say, like, the first friend of me. Off again, on again. Off again, on again. And, and off just, again, and then off again. And then through the different interpretations she's gone through over the years, too. Yeah. And just being a real strong, dominant female character, yeah. too. Yeah. Is I mean, is just kudos to how she's been written throughout the years, mm-hmm. and just to see how she's really made herself stand out, and she's had her own personal codes. And, yeah, and really, since when in the '90s, like I say, that's when I really kind of jumped on and started reading because that's when she had her first solo series that re- okay. that really like for me, I understood this. Like she had her reasons for doing things, and she had her own different code, right? And still, like, didn't have to follow by the rules, didn't follow by what Batman wanted to do. Okay, but still. You got the essence of she has her reasons. She might push the boundaries, but there is method to her madness. Mm-hmm. But it's not madness. It's no. just she is a master thief, and that she just really wants to see 
about where that goes. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of times it brings in the foils with Batman. And, and this is not to say that she's been an angel her entire time. No. I mean, that's definitely not happening. She's got her skeletons. She definitely has her skeletons. But for being in the rogues gallery mm-hmm. of Batman, she's the one that has been the one to cross over more times than not. Yeah. And walk that fine line. Yeah. That you you don't want to root against her, but you don't want to root for her right. in certain degrees. And it's just a brilliance of the character to see how she started out just from being a simple jewel thief to the, I mean, it's been rewritten different times. Oh, yeah. I mean, for Crisis yeah. on Infinite Earths, that's another story. But to see how the character has really evolved mm-hmm. from just being, you know, the expert thief and going there to where she is now, which she can hold her own with the yeah. best of the DCU. Oh, yeah. And is one of the most recognizable faces in all of, of pop culture, like we touched upon earlier. Oh, yeah, especially you think back to Batman Returns when Michelle Pfeiffer played her. Yeah, brilliant. just how iconic that is. Yeah, that one definitely is. Like, go to go to your local comic convention, you know, big one, small one. If there are people cosplaying, odds are you're going to be somebody cosplaying as the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. Yes, which is, in my opinion, the best media version of her uh-huh. that we've seen. Uh, the Halle Berry one is a joke. Uh, we, uh, that didn't and, happen. And that is an insult. Didn't happen. That is such an insult. But even when Anne Hathaway played her in the yeah. Christopher Nolan one, yeah. that's a great one too. But Michelle Pfeiffer's really encompasses the character. Right. And really gets everything that you understand for Catwoman that like I say she is a, a master thief but when she's been written well she's been written as the an anti-hero mm-hmm. and in, to me that's how I always read her as well that's exactly what she is I mean she'll help Batman but at the end of the day she'll help Batman as so long as it you know works to her own ends I mean you think to what was it Batman Arkham City mm-hmm. where she had the opportunity or or maybe no I think it might have been Arkham Knight it was one of the Arkham games mm-hmm. where she had like a million dollars or whatever the amount of money was in the briefcase and she could have walked out and she could have walked away and made been filthy rich but she couldn't because she had to help Batman mm-hmm. yeah like I say she's one of the most conflicted characters in comics and that's when she's written the best yeah because when I can say when she's just not a master jewel thief right and she actually has a code in what she does and the method to where her attacks are and She's not afraid to cross the line if she feels it's justified, and that puts her in the in, you know the the crosshairs of Batman a lot. But Batman, uh-huh. but in a weird sense, Batman understands that too, right? And I think that creates some of the best drama in all of comics mm-hmm. to have that foil that Batman understands it and can't really go against it, and thus obviously dealing with their on again off again throughout the years, yeah. And even most recently with Tom King writing their engagement and. And wedding, and it did not happen. But now, whatever's going to happen in their new series coming out, right? It, it's been very, very interesting to see where this her direction is going, and just how she's evolved from just being, you know, a throwaway rogues gallery mm-hmm. villain to one of the strongest characters in the DCU for how well she's been written. Yeah, I mean, it's just truly astonishment to see just in eighty years how these characters have grown mm-hmm. and really stood stood apart too, where. She is now not considered a villain, no. But she's considered her own char- her own antihero in her own right, and how that resonates to the rest of the DCU is just truly astonishing. Eighty years, man. Yeah, Can you believe this? That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But there's been so many stories. I mean, we can keep deep diving forever on this. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on the hashtag hashtag odph. Eighty years of the Joker. Eighty years of Catwoman. What's your favorite stories from both? Where do you think their lasting legacy is? We definitely want to have that conversation. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. In a world of utter randomness, 
one podcast stood out from the bunch. And it was the amazing world of talking shiz. <coughs> Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. Um, yeah, it's just mainly randomness. And focus is it's definitely not being not focused there. on at all. No. Uh, our podcast is definitely um, no theme at all. It's literally random and talk about literally everything and throwing in random jokes at any given time. Yeah. We're on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And- so go ahead, tune in. New episodes weekly. And we're international. International. Very, yes. very well. So tune in. Follow yeah. us on Twitter. See you there. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have a special surprise for you, ODPH Society. Dare I say it's a super-duper surprise. You could say that. We can say that because we have an aficionado of that term on the phone right now. You have heard him on past episodes. You hear his music all the time on the ODPH. Uh, Dare I say the whole hashtag 607 Podcast Network, Mm -hmm. because everybody has been playing second suitor since this gentleman graced us. With his presence in the studio, a lot has been going on since that episode, and there's a very big event going down this Friday as we are recording. I can try shilling it the best I can, but why not get it from the direct source himself? You know him from Tyler Mania. You know him from Second Suitor. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ODPH, the one and only Tyler Reed. Tyler, what's going on? Oh my God! What an introduction! Not much. Thank you so much for having me back on. This is so much fun. Oh, dude, I, I've, I've missed you guys dearly. I miss you too, man. We are long overdue to have you come in the studio and talk some wrestling. So, I know. I, I wish I could be there in person so you can see how excited I get and how jittery I get when we actually talk about wrestling. Oh yeah, no. As soon as everything is lifted with C19, you're coming in, and or either we're bringing you to the 3FN uh, station. And we're going oh, to do, yeah. do 3FNW there with you. I know Rich wants to have you come in, talk New Japan all day, every day. Yes. We're going to have so much fun. Oh, absolutely. But let's just jump into where things were the last time we talked to you. You're going out on tour with Tom Jolu. You guys did an awesome show on Valentine's Day, I got to say. Oh, yes. You were there, I recall. Yep. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I was there with uh, the guys from Floodlands, Tom and, and Jimmy, and it was it was a blast. That was a great night. Oh, my God. I love when we get to do shows at the bowling alley because they're always just so weird and just so our weird brand of nonsense. Like having all of like those lanes stacked up next. I don't know. It was just perfect. It was a perfect way to spend Valentine's Day and to kick off that tour. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad we got to do the tour. It was so much fun. Yeah, I was going to say because that was the kickoff to the tour. Because uh, Well, you guys played the night before, I believe, in Elmira. Yes, we were out at Brady's in Elmira the night before. Right. And then this was, you guys came in and like Tom, that was the first time I've seen Tom play and I was absolutely blown away by oh their God. setup. And, I love Tom. Oh yeah. And he's he's booked to come on the ODPH too as soon as this is all lifted too. I was talking to him awesome. last night. That's great. Yeah, I'm super excited to get that going. 
And then you guys came in and the whole place like lit up. Yeah, I saw I remember seeing people down the hallway were like trying to like peek over and see what was going on. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, everybody was like losing their mind, especially you guys were playing some of the new music too a little bit, which we'll get into a little yeah. bit later in the segment. But that had to be the best way to kick off the tour. And then tell me about how things were going after that. Oh my god, the tour was so much fun. Um after after that show too, for the rest of the tour, both uh Micah and myself were uh filling in for Tom Jolos, Jolus. We were doing double duty every night. Oh man. It was a blast cuz I haven't I haven't played bass or played anything that's not just my part in Second Suitor and for a long time. So I got to play bass for Tom Jolu for a bunch of shows. So that was a lot of fun. And um yeah, we got to go all the way down to Florida, play a bunch of shows, hang out with a bunch of friends. Um I we we had pub subs for the first time. Oh which wow. Is, yeah oh my god life-changing experience yeah bring that yeah, down for our listeners like i love that we still get to tour with tom jolu it's always so much fun yeah i was gonna say life on the road especially pub subs like what is that for our listeners so uh there's a, a it's like a white like a supermarket called uh Publix down in the south and they have pub subs okay and by i i was to- told to get it by our good friend adam was just like you get the the chicken tossed with the barbecue sauce they chop it all up, and then you get American cheese and a little bit of salt and pepper, and holy crap, it is so good. That sounds delicious. Yeah, we ate a lot of food down there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's life on the road. You got to go to the different places and try everything this, since you're there. I mean, from coming from the north, you know, from New York and traveling all the way down to Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't realize how much of a big deal it was until we were at the show in Orlando. And one of our buddies showed us, I think, a picture of his friend who had a tattoo of a pub sub on his leg. That's <laughs> so legit. Like, oh, my God. We, 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 we experienced something great, apparently. Wow. I'm just trying to realize, like, you have to really love food to get that tattooed I, on your I leg. I know. You got to be committed. <laughs> yeah. Th- like, I, pff, I, even for my favorite food, I can't do that. But that is, that is no. a true other level. Like, I, wow. Yeah. Ga- game recognizes game. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Very good point yeah. indeed. <laughs> So then after that, I mean, the tour, like I said, you hit you hit Georgia, I believe, Florida, Carolina. Yeah, um, we got to hit Georgia, Carolina. Um, we hit North Carolina on the way up. We got to do a cool, like, studio session kind of thing. And then we closed out the tour in Mansfield, which is one of our favorite places. We love going to Mansfield. Mansfield is my alma mater, my friend, so I know that area very, very well. We stopped, we stopped at the hut. We made sure we got there. I mean, not the hut, the... Uh, Night and day. Okay. We played the hut. Yeah, I was gonna say the hut. Yeah, the hut's a little separate. Um, uh, like I want to say, like it's like a conference hall, like type. It's it's just a, it's an area where you can go do like different events. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. We play there every time in Mansfield. We always make sure we go to the night and day diner beforehand. You have to. Yeah, that's. It was a- funny. The, we did the we did a tour around this time last year with Tom Jolu. And we played Mansfield, and we kind of were in the town for, like, probably, like, two full days. And I think we went to the night and day probably six times in that two days just to get coffee and, like, bagels all day. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong when you stop down there. I mean, they got a couple other different places down there, but the night and day is, is top-notch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So then coming back home, obviously, from doing the tour – it was time to get back, dare I say, in the studio. And you've already been testing out the songs, but Super Duper EP, why don't you break down what's been going on with that? Yeah, um, well, we actually started recording it back in December, and we, we finished it up, and, you know, we had a lot of plans of when we're going to release it, how we're going to release it, and obviously 
all of our plans got tossed out the window once the world happened yeah and that's okay because we are still going to be releasing it um right now we're just focusing on digitally getting it out there so people can listen to it and enjoy it that's why this friday um we're just releasing it exclusively on Bandcamp, and we're doing it for name your own price um which is probably the uh just furthering the evidence of that i'm the worst merch person in the world and i always give too much away but i love I love always having music available for anybody and everybody to listen to and to have. So if you're looking for something new to jam during your quarantine or whatnot, or while you're essentially working, we'll have new music for the first time in two years too. That's something I realized today. I was like, Oh wow. my God, safe space came out in June, I think of 2018. So it's almost been two years since second suitor has put out anything new. That's and crazy. So I know I realized that today. I'm like, Oh my God, it's been two years. Just to, re- I mean, yeah, just to kind of put that in a fathom, because I mean, S- Safe Space blew up and has been like basically all over the place up here regionally, and even to other podcasts we listen to, I have been now sharing it. That's amazing. Yeah, like and so, yeah, it's, it's crazy, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so cool to just see how music can just travel and just really, especially in these times, really like bring out some good emotions and good feelings for everybody. Hell yeah, you know it's. I'm, I'm, I love to see that artists and musicians are all still doing what they're doing and creating and making the best of circumstances and still putting out stuff. The live streams have been super fun. Um, I know Tom does his every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of friends do the live streams. Um, what I've been oh, I've been watching uh, Born Without Bones. He's been uh, there. I think their singer's name is Scott. He's been playing their albums front to back on their Instagram every Saturday. That's been so much fun to watch. So. I don't know. In a way, this has kind of created some unique musical uh, experiences for everyone to watch, and I, I kind of appreciate that, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And don't sell yourself short, my friend, because you've been doing a lot of streaming as well, doing um, a couple quick sets here and there, and then, dare I say, the official WrestleMania kickoff. <laughs> it, it should be from now on every year. I, I, I'm fully – I vote for it. Was, Tyler Mania should not have been as successful as it ended up being. And I'm so thankful for that because it was a silly idea I created to actually, I did not. Well, I created Tyler Mania because I don't think my neighbor was going to name it Tyler Mania, but my neighbor across the street suggested, cause he knows I'm in a band and whatnot. He's like, we need entertainment. He's like, can you like come on the porch and play and do something? And I'm like, hell yeah, let's make a thing of it. And I made a thing of it and I made it Tyler Mania and, it is amazing how many people tuned in to watch that. I'm still so blown away by that. My parents were even like, holy crap. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it is when you – anybody is doing live music, and especially for an event like WrestleMania where people are home and there's big groups and yes. well, yeah, that are home. Like Usually, like, there's always a watch party, but obviously with everything going on at C19, everybody's stuck at home. So to kind of have that, like, big party entertaining atmosphere that shows, like, the one you did – people are gravitating for. And I mean, it just goes to show that still in these trying times, if you're putting out good music and just good energy, people are finding it. Yeah. And, and I love that people are tuning in and watching because even for me doing it, it, you know, it's not like I was playing a show show, but I was because my neighbors came out and there were so many people watching online. And for me, it kind of, it, it, it makes me feel better. Like there's some sort of normalcy and I can still play music for people. Cause I love that. I love performing. I love being on stage. I love playing with my band, 
that's the only thing I'm missing out in. And my poor parents, I keep making them try to play instruments because <laughs> I'm missing James and Micah so much. Right. But, you know, but still, you're staying true to, like, being a musician and just trying to really be entertaining everybody right now. And, I mean, it goes to show with the views you're getting for it, too, as well. Hell, yeah. I appreciate it so much. It may, it means so much that, it, you know, people enjoy watching me play. It really, truly does. And I appreciate everyone tuning in and watching all the time. It's really cool. Yeah, definitely. If you have the chance to check out Tyler Mania, like, if you miss it the first time, Definitely check out Second Suitor's Facebook page. You can check out the ODPH Facebook page. I believe we still have it up there as well. That you just need to sit back and just watch the entertaining set because you went through, you know, deep diving a little bit of different songs, doing a couple covers, and then, yeah. and then, dare I say, when you whipped out Beverly Hills, it was like, okay. Oh my God, me and my dad. My, you know what? I will say, Tyler Mania uh, definitely has encouraged my dad to want to learn more songs on Cajon and play. That's awesome. So- my, maybe there'll be a, a set. I don't know if it'll be a Tyler Mania too. At least not till next year. But there might be another uh, front porch concert as the weather warms up again. I was gonna say Tyler in the bank or something. I know the yeah. WWE's got that coming up. <laughs> Tyler in the bank. I love it. It's, it's gotta be something like that happening. But now that obviously you've been playing and and you're still gonna be doing the live streaming here and there too, right? Yeah, I I don't know when the next one's gonna be, but I'm sure I'll do one at some point in the near future. You know what you should, like, I, I'll throw the challenge out there. I don't know if you've been following all the Instagram DJ battles. No, actually. So what they've been doing, Pad, you can kind of elaborate a little bit on yeah. this. Yeah. That they've been doing, on like, hip-hop, they've been having, like, two DJs or two producers go back and forth. And in some instances, artists. At one weekend, it was Ludacris versus Lil Jon, and it's broken Instagram live record for having, like, something like over 270,000 people watching at once. Shit, that's awesome. Oh, it was nuts. And it was, like, a trip back to, like, the prime years of, of my childhood in middle school with Lil John playing all, all the stuff. Because I think the one stipulation is you have to have worked on it or been on the track, the song you play. So okay. so Lil John, that's, that's, like, peak 2000s, you know, the 2000s hip-hop. And then T-Pain was all the stuff in like the early 2010s. So it was all like the prime time of music for when I was growing up. And so just for like a solid three hours, it was just glorious. That is so sick. I'll have to check that. Can you still watch it now or no? No, but I'm pretty sure people have uploaded it to YouTube so you can find it there. Okay, absolutely going to have to check that out then. Yeah, because I was saying like I would love to see like a local one from that 607 music scene. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, like you versus like Julian from Shout Out the Robots. And it's not even like a battle, but it's just like both you set up. It's going back and forth. Like after you see the setup, like five songs just back to back to back to back to back or something like that. Or like you versus Tom Jolu or something. See that? It would be funny. We should do uh, Second Suitor versus Tom Jolu versus Choose Not to Choose. So James would have to play against himself three times. Ooh, I am down for that. I don't know who he'd play hardest for. Yeah, that would be a good. That's a good question. His head might explode. I don't know. There's too much pressure. You have to see about that, but I mean, that's just something too. Just with doing all the live streams and just how like that's evolving. Just the audience is there for it. That yeah. that especially just with everybody doing live shows, it's like you have so many new eyes following you, and it's a great time to be releasing new music, and it's a perfect time for this week with sec- with the super duper EP. Yeah, you know, I think people are looking for some, people are still looking for ways to, you know, escape and just kind of distract themselves and just, you know, find the level of normalcy or, I don't know, just close your eyes and listen to something cool for 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. People are looking for that. And, you know, we, we this is the first time I'll, we'll be releasing music without having an official, like, release show, which is crazy to me, I think. 
And um, because I love CD release shows, they're so much fun. And obviously, we're still gonna inevitably have an official release show once everything is able to happen. But I'm I'm nervous and I'm very excited to release uh, the Super Duper EP this weekend. I think it's gonna be really cool. I'm excited to release it digitally. I can't wait to see how it does, and I hope it spreads in a different way that it wouldn't, you know, how we would traditionally release it. So I'm kind of excited to see how this one goes. You know, I, I'm really excited on the EP. I think people are gonna love it. Um, it's it's very much second suitor, and I I think people are really gonna dig it. Absolutely. So why don't you t- break us down? Like, so what is the vibe of the Super Duper EP? Like, what makes it a little different than uh, Safe Space? Um. A little bit. I don't. I don't want to say a little bit more honest because Safe Space is pretty honest, but I guess a little more real and just, you know, a little bit more detailed of thoughts, a little bit more personal and a little less vague. Okay. Um, I don't know. I. I really. We. We worked on it collectively a lot more too. Like Safe Space was really cool. I worked on it with Scott Rasmussen, who's the the drummer for Kites and Power Lines, and I think their their EP is releasing the day after ours, which is really cool as well. Oh, nice. Um, excited. Yeah, excited on that. But um, So this was the first EP that I got to work on with Micah and James and uh, Matt from Sideroom Sounds and also Tom Jolu. He recorded it all, which is so much fun. I've never worked with him like that before. And Matt is just like one of few people who I think really gets me. And I, I tell that to him all the time. He just knows how to like explain things to me and make me feel like I'm not a total idiot. And I love that. So um, this this EP just fully, I think, captures who we are as a band right now, and I it's, it was a lot of fun to make. It really was. We recorded it in um, Micah's like childhood home. Oh wow. And, yeah. So like, no EP is gonna sound like this EP, and I think that's really cool. And then we also got it mastered um, by John Niclario at Nada Recording Studios. So it sounds so fucking cool, and we can't wait for the world to hear it. I hope everyone loves it. Well, I know that I've been fortunate enough. I've heard a couple tracks, and I know Mike has been playing some on his personal Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, kind of like his background stuff, like when he's driving around or, or making <laughs> I was pasta. Say, like when he's driving home from work. <laughs> yeah, like he's just throwing it on. And I, I mean, everything we've heard about it, and I know we've been fortunate enough to hear One Wing Angel uh, when you came in first yeah. for the show. And now there's like this unofficial like bidding war of like who's going to be the first one to play it amongst all the hashtag 607 podcasts. I love that. Oh, yeah. Like, it's probably going to be on, like, every show next week, which is awesome. That makes me so happy. I love that that is the song, too, that so far people are like, oh, I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, because that's all we've been raving about, and especially I know when the first time I heard it live down at the bowling alley on the Valentine's Day show, that was incredible, and just see the crowd reaction to it. (laughs) Thank you. I I, You know, I got to say, I'm really excited that, I have a lot, there's a lot of wrestling fans uh, super excited about like a sappy love song. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's perfect. Like I could say, it's like, pretty it, great. I, yeah. like I, I could see certain weddings having this as their song. I hope so. That would make me so happy. <laughs> yeah, you're going for Ed Sheeran's crown, so you're going to knock him out on this one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that's going to be going down, like you say, on Friday. So on Bandcamp, secondsuitor.bandcamp.com. And yes. it's the name your price. Name your own price. Feel free to type in zero dollars and just enjoy it. And then, if you'd like to pay, awesome. If not, still, just go listen and and enjoy it. And I will say this: I'm personally recommending paying for it because Bandcamp is waiving their fees for this. Yes, for Friday. Uh, This Friday, Bandcamp uh, has—they're not taking any money 
from any revenue that any bands make, which is really cool of them to do. So if you are going to pay for it, Friday is the day to do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I cannot highly recommend enough going on, supporting any local artists, any artist that's on Bandcamp, and obviously, you know, helping them out in these trying times because they're providing us music, they're providing us entertainment, whether it's via streaming, whether it's just hearing a song to get your mind off everything going on right now. Because trust me, it has helped me out personally. I know it's helped Pat out personally. Oh, yeah. It's helped out more people than I think anybody can really like fathom right now. Absolutely. And we love making music for everyone, honestly. It's, it means so much that so many people look forward to hearing it and that people are enjoying it through this trying time we have right now. So thank you to anyone and everybody who listens. It truly does mean the world to us, for real. Thank you. Absolutely. Super Duper EP is going to be dropping this Friday, so definitely secondstooter.bandcamp.com. If you're not sure how to get there, head on over to ochoduropaliar.com slash music. We have all the Second Suitor social media that you need, so you just got to go click, download, thank Tyler, thank the band. Also, the link is in the description of this episode. Ah, Pad's on top of the game. Yup. Nailed it. Oh, he's got this. Tyler, thank you again (laughs) for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I truly do appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. And once all this nonsense is cleared up, you got to come back in studio. I know we're trying to book you for the wrestling show because that is going to happen. Oh, it's absolutely going to happen. I can't wait. Yeah, we're going to definitely make that happen. And then whenever there's the CD release party, you know, we're going to be there live. We'll have to kind of maybe see if we can do some streaming for it and get some. Uh, Abs- oh, yeah, absolutely. It's going to happen. Get some YouTube going. So stay you safe, my it. stay safe, my friend. And I will be talking to you later. Sounds great, guys. You stay safe as well. Thank you so much. No problem. Tyler Reed from Second Suitor, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Well, hello there. I'm Brian Wayne, host of the Cheers to Comics podcast, and I'm here to bring you the ultimate comic book podcast for readers and lovers and collectors of all levels. Whether you're trying to get caught up on last week's books or you're just looking to check out the latest interview with the latest creator, this is the podcast for you. So if you're looking for a comic book show that doesn't stray away from the topic and you're looking to get an insight from a true fan and lover of this industry then tune into the cheers to comics podcast three times a week as i brian wayne raise a glass to this wonderful wonderful industry that is comics cheers hi this is tyler from second suitor and you're listening to the odph podcast i want you to get it i want you to understand I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend that I have to make amends. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Normally we do one shots, Mm -hmm. but there was a late break in the story that we figured we'll give a fourth segment on mm-hmm. and pad why don't you break it down for us yeah so of course as everyone might know uh movie theaters right now are sh- uh, shut down they're not operating right now so that's forcing uh studios to get a little creative with how they put movies out uh, i know in certain instances such as i believe it was sonic and i know bloodshot got the same treatment that 
it got put to uh, a prime video on demand release very early and a lot sooner than it normally would have. You've had other such films such as Birds of Prey, which shouldn't have come out on digital for another few months, mm. got pushed up. You know, and then also Disney put uh, their p- latest Pixar film onward to Disney Plus. I know Disney is either getting ready or might have already put out the Artemis Fowl uh, movie onto Disney Plus. So it's, it's forcing studios to get a little creative, and that's made some uh, theater chains not very happy. Now, in specifics, we're talking about AMC theaters and Universal Pictures because they're like you know two siblings who are fighting over who gets to pick the movie right now. Uh, so obviously one of the movies that Universal Pictures was very, you know, expectant and anticipating putting out into theaters and having a great box office run was the latest Trolls movie, which admittedly never seen, not exactly on my radar, but hey, to each their own. Obviously with coronavirus and everything going on with C-19, did not happen, wasn't able to happen. So instead, uh, Universal Pictures, much to the displeasure of the folks who run movie theaters and the CEOs of movie theater companies, uh, put the movie out as a prime video on demand. I believe the running price was $20, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. Something like that, which seems a little high, but when you consider the price of seeing that movie in theaters and everything, that would run pretty good deal. Um, but so in a, in a, I was either a conference call or something the other day. Excuse me. The uh, NBC Universal CEO, Jeff Snell, talked about how Trolls World Tour had made all overall took in a hundred million dollars in premium video on demand rentals in its first three weeks of play in North America. And it, it, the result of that would push the film toward profitability, you know, and they said, Hey, we might, you know, look at putting other movies while they might be out in theaters. We might look at putting other movies in while they're in theaters out to a prime, you know, video on demand release. Yeah. Uh, as a result, AMC theaters did not take that well at all. Uh, the AMC Theaters chairman and CEO Adam Aaron uh, attacked the notion because there's a 90-day window uh, you know, for a f- movie to be in theaters and then come out on video on demand. Uh, he sent a very strongly worded letter uh, basically saying, quote, it is disappointing to us but Jeff's comments to as to Universal's unilateral actions and intentions have left us with no choice. Therefore, effective immediately, AMC will no longer play any Universal movies in any of our theaters in the United States, Europe, or the Middle East. This policy affects any and all Universal movies per se, goes into effect today, and as our theaters reopen, and is not somehow some hollow or ill-considered threat. Incidentally, this policy is not aimed solely at Universal out of peak or to be punitive in any way. It also extends to any movie maker who unilaterally abandons current windowing practices absent good faith negotiations between us so that they as as distributor and we as exhibitor both benefit and neither are hurt from such changes close quote okay Woo. amc coming with the heat on that one uh miss and miss aimed heat yeah you really don't have a leg to stand on in this argument in my opinion nope no the fact that you, the video on demand is taken off right now and it's been very successful is because Obviously, everything's shut down. Yeah. So if you're going to really sit there and threaten Universal Uh and pull the Fast and Furious franchise out. Yeah, because here's the thing. AMC is hurting. Yeah. Hurting. Their credit rating got downgraded 
which basically, you know, you can Google the long, you know, what it entails, but their credit rating got downgraded and basically they got labeled as there's a bankruptcy coming and we're not sure there's anything that can be done to stop it. Yeah. You know, they're hurting for money. This this C-19 is not helping anyone. Regal, AMC, you know, Alamo Draft House, like name your theater chain. It's not helping them. But this is really not helping AMC because I was reading an article the other day that was saying the AMC was like $4.9 billion in debt, that which is not ever good. So they're playing hardball with Universal Pictures. And, hey, uh, here are some films on the horizon that they're now turning down. Fast and Furious 9, bonafide billion-dollar movie. Oh, huge, yeah. Billion-dollar movie at the box office worldwide. And I should know, AMC is the largest movie theater chain on the planet. They own a 1,000 movie theaters in 15 countries. Which also, which means they have eleven thousand movie theater screens across fifteen countries. Now that information is as of uh, September of last year. So they're turning down Fast and Furious Nine, bona fide billion dollar plus movie at the box office worldwide. Uh, they're turning down the next Minions movie, which is supposed to come out July of next year. That's also another big money grossing film. They're turning down the next Jurassic film, World film, which again. I know you're not the biggest Jurassic World fan, no. <laughs> but still, bona fide bil- billion dollar f- franchise. Right, you're you're gonna be basically throwing money out the door. Yeah, you're, a- you're shooting yourself in the foot. And like, I can understand if you really want to try taking a stance about this because we were re- as we we're going to record, we were hearing Regal decided to make a comment about the same thing too. Sure, I I understand if you are a theater owner. Yeah, you're not happy this is taking place, but you also have to realize the situation going on, in my opinion. Yeah. That if you're going to be mad that VOD took off and it was a success, it's got to be, is this going to be the same platform when movie theaters reopen? I, I mean, I, I to me, it, because the other the figure I read was that in three weeks in video on demand, obviously, like I mentioned, this Trolls movie made $100 million. It made more than the previous one did in five months at the box office. Yeah. How, hello, the writing's on the wall. Are you upset that the film didn't get released in theaters? Okay, I understand that. But it's not like they took Fast and Furious 9 and said, ah, you know what, we're not going to put Fast and Furious 9 out in theaters. We're going to put it right to video on demand. Would you have made a little bit of money off of this movie? Yeah, sure. Probably not much. Yeah. It's, it's like a drop in the bucket. Now, I get you're upset that you can't show films right now, but, you know, there's a lot of people right now that can't show anything or can't operate. It's understandable. You're frustrated. But shooting yourself in the foot and not playing ball with one of the biggest movie production companies on the planet is not a good look. No, it's dumb. It's absolutely dumb. I understand frustration is boiling over, but this is where you need to think before you speak. Mm-hmm. And they are not making the best image with this, especially no. when it is well documented that you are having financial issues. Mm-hmm. That, that at one point, there was talk of your company filing for bankruptcy, and then lo and behold, you somehow managed to raise $500 million. So, you're hey, you're at least good through the end of the year, but what about next year? Yeah, why... Why bite your nose or why cut your nose to spite your face? Uh-huh. Like that, like like I say, you're biting the hand that's trying to feed you. And yeah, it's to say to be you know sounding off about this. Listen, not the best look. No, and, and, and you're going to be the one losing this battle. Yeah, because trust me, 
If they want to go to other movie theaters, they're going to go to other movie theaters. Yeah, they're not going to they're not going to lose any sleep. No, it's the fact is people will go flock to see a movie if it's that good. Oh yeah, it's word of mouth. This is why there are lines across parking lots when Avengers Endgame came out. Oh yeah, Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. Oh yeah, this is not something that if, if the public is not excited to go see, they're going to skip. People don't go to AMC. Well, I won't say people don't. Most people don't go to AMC because they're diehard AMC fans. I'm sure there are some. But I would say the majority of people don't go to AMC because they really love AMC. They go to AMC because it's convenient. Because it might be the only theater in town. I remember when I was going to school at uh, Oswego, New York, that the only movie theater in driving distance was a, was an AMC theater. Mm. So I went to AMC there. Not because I really love AMC. I'm really par- impartial on movie theaters. I know we go to Regal for obvious for reasons that we know that you know they got movie touch times up faster. We've had better experiences at, a- at Regal. You know, so we prefer Regal. Mm-hmm. But in terms of when I was at Oswego or something else, I really went to AMC. I didn't care. I was like, hey, it's the nearest theater. So for a lot of people, they don't care where they see a film. You know, it's just hey, whoever's closest or what's the only my the only theater in town. If they got a Regal and an AMC in town, and Regal and AMC still isn't showing Universal movies, they'll just go to Regal. Exactly. It's not going to come down to we're going to boycott this to support our theater chain. Yeah. If they really want to go see a movie, they're going to go find a way to see it. Yep. So why they're trying to pick a fight with Universal about this, I don't know. I it, it just it reads funny to me. Uh huh. And like I say, I figured. Pat and I would deep dive into this for a one shot that this wasn't going to be something we just kind of throw a flash in the pan. Yeah. If they want to try picking a fight with Universal, this is going to fail miserably. Mm-hmm. Absolutely miserably because if another studio, like let's say Disney decides to really start pumping out the VOD. Right. I mean, they got the streaming service for it. Yeah, they got Disney Plus and they do have Hulu. Yep. And how'd Onward do? Uh, pretty good from what I understand. Don't right. know any firm numbers, but I did pretty well. Right. It's going to wind up backfiring, too. And then, like I say, if they're in real financial trouble, Pat had a really wild theory of who might be looking at them. Yeah, so heaven forbid if things don't get any better for AMC and they end up having to sell. Uh, it was We were trying to, you know, I know you brought up, oh, maybe Regal would buy them, but I don't see that happening just because they'd have to get approval and there's no way that would ever get approved because the monopoly would just be way too large. Mm-hmm. But so I was I was just kind of tossing my like, oh, I said, oh, I can see maybe see, you know, a billionaire of some sort, you know, buying them. And I was trying to think of one. And the only one coming to mind was Elon Musk. But I know Elon Musk isn't going to buy uh, AMC theaters. And then you said, oh, what about Bezos, Amazon? And, and that kind of triggered a thought in my head. There's one particular company out there that wants to get in to the Oscars and they've gotten in. But the Oscars and the Academy is fighting them tooth and nail on it. Uh, that wants to get into the Oscars and wants to get Oscar recognition in the worst way possible. And it's even to the point where these supposed rules that, you know, are help you qualify to get into the Oscars are being changed and what have you. And the easy way for them to do it was if push came to shove and, and AMC went up for sale that this company might buy them. Netflix. Crazy idea, but Pat's on the money about this one. Because you think about it. The requirement, from my understanding, is that for a movie to be considered for the... Now, this is not excluding these upcoming Oscars because I had that thought the other day with theaters being shut down. I've seen like two movies all year. What the hell are they going to do for the Oscars? They're, they're changing the Oscars uh, for at least next year where movies that got a premium video on, demand, video on demand release will be eligible, but it'll be the only year they're eligible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
the the normal requirements for a movie to be considered for the Oscars, it's got to be have a wide theatrical release and be in theaters for a certain amount of time. So when it comes to Netflix films that they think, oh, you know what? This might be able to get some Oscar buzz. They'll put it in like the bare minimum required number of theaters for the bare number required amount of weeks to qualify for the Oscars. They that they'll rectify that situation and be able to fix that. And the Academy won't really be able to say anything if Netflix goes out and buys AMC, because like I said, the information I was reading as of September of last year, AMC owned and operated 1000 theaters across 15 countries, which equaled 11,000 screens. It's all of a sudden a lot easier to take an Irishman or an extraction, which just came out or any of their other original films that, Hey, you know what? This might be, we might be able to make win an Oscar with us to not have to call up, you know, some of these theater chains that they've worked with in the past and say, Hey, would you be willing to show our film for a few weeks to just put it out to your, the theater chain you own? It's a wild idea, but I tell you, there's some smoke to it, man. I'm not saying I've read anything. It's just kind of me thinking. No, but it makes perfect sense. And especially yeah. if AMC really wants to take that off, and if you were going to start going after chain or movie th- studios, yeah, you, the chain of command is going to just be like a domino effect. Yeah. Like, I just see more following suit. If you're really going to try picking a fight about this, you're going to lose, and then Netflix could sweep in. And then it's like nobody's going to win. Nobody's going to win. Nobody is. No. So hopefully cooler heads prevail. But yeah, I would imagine so. We'll have to see. But if Netflix sneaks in there, man. Wouldn't surprise me. I just say, would I get a free ticket with my subscription? That'd be interesting. Uh, I'm already paying enough. Food for thought, everybody. Food for thought. Mm-hmm. That being said, the music you heard on this week's entertainment edition of the ODPH podcast, we kicked off with Shout at the Robots. We're going to end with some new second suitor. As you heard, we were talking to Tyler. Their EP, Super Duper, drops this Friday. So we're going to be playing We're Physicist Bro to close out this edition of the ODPH podcast. I cannot stress enough, this Friday, go to bandcamp.com. Go check out some local bands. Go check out some music that is going to be on there. Bandcamp has sent out the email that they're waiving their revenue share to help musicians with with everything going on right now. So if you're going to go buy some music on Bandcamp, this is the time to do it. We have a whole section on OchoDuroParleyHour.com of great musicians that I will personally endorse you going and checking their stuff out. You can go check out Floodlands, Walking Distance, Honker, Fair City Fire, uh, Second Suitor, like we mentioned, Yard Party, which has an amazing album out right now in search of an exit. Shout at the Robots, Tom Jolu. They are all on Bandcamp, to my knowledge. I go usually through iTunes and such to go get some music, but if you want to go get some Bandcamp, if you don't have it yet, I cannot stress enough, go get it. I'm going to be go buying Super Duper this Friday on Bandcamp and definitely going to be hooking up. Uh, maybe we'll see what we, who else we hook up with that too this week. I, I know that just supporting local, I cannot stress enough. And where are we going to go with this? Just I'm telling you, go to ochoduropalero.com slash music Friday. Go find a band that's on there. Go check out their Bandcamp if they're running. Go download some music. Support them. It means the absolute world. To them and to you know for what they're doing for us, we can't say thank you enough. Also on OchoDuroParleyHour.com, you can check out the ODPH directory, where we have links to Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, who's doing Final Fantasy VII Remake Pad. Mm-hmm. I know he's called you out. He says he wants you in that chat. 
You're going to have to step up to the challenge. We're going to have to wait and see. But you can find out everything he's got going on. You can also check out everything going on at Excite Wrestling. You can also see all the Pod Chaser lists that we are a part of, such as Pod Nation, the Legion Independent Podcast, Alternate Reality Radio, and the Apocalypse Community. And we cannot forget hashtag 607 Podcast. Shout out to Rich Ron and hashtag Big Natty Cool. Still on Twitter, Pat. Mm. Still on Twitter. Oh, Lord. Yes, he's still going, giving you all the content you can handle. So they have got some new stuff coming on their Patreon channel, which we have to keep plugging. So if you go to patreon.com slash 8122productions, you can check out the new show, I Love Movies, by Ron, who is giving you that real talk, not holding back any punches about movies he's seen, and he's kicking off talking about John Wick in the franchise. So you can get his definite opinion of that. And you can also check out the hottest show behind a Patreon wall, Love is Scary. Dr. Derek has got more stuff coming, Pat. Mm-hmm. He has given some little tidbits of what's going to be coming in the next few months. Oh, boy. I can't talk about it. I want to on this show. I really do, but I can't because I've been told by three providers we'll get kicked off. Oh, we're up to three now. We are up to three. There oh, is a oh third, Lord. There is a third one that has been contacted. two for a while. It's been two, but a third one I do not want to name because I'm very grateful that we are on there uh, has said, don't talk about that on the show. I said, okay, I'm not going to argue with you about this. So if you want to find out what I'm talking about, $1 gets you in the door, $3 gets you a comfy seat at the table, and the $100 Diamond Derek Club is a whole other ball of wax. Jesus fucking Christ. Pat, Pat heard what is involved with that. Hey. I am not touching that one. Nope. But if you wanted to go check out if what you're they a got brave coming, soul who is, God help you. If you're a brave soul, just hit up 8122productions.com, check out the Patreon, and... Rich and Derek will be able to fill you in about everything that's going on there. Also on our listener webpage. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, listener discretion is always advised with that one. But on OchoDuroPolyR.com, you can also check out Parlay Points, where Coach Duffy has given us a sports blog this week talking about the NFL draft and the New York football giants and what his thoughts were on that. And you can also check out Livestream for the Cure. The link is on for the page May 27th through the 31st. On Epic Film Guys Twitch channel, that is twitch.tv slash Epic Film Guys. We are going to be part of an amazing group of content creators that are going to be helping raise, raising money for the Cancer Research Institute. $10,000 is the goal, but whatever we can raise is going towards kicking cancer's ass. We are down for that. We are going to be a part of that on Sunday, May 31st, between 1 and 2 p.m. It's going to be Rich from 3FN, Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, and myself talking about the worst video game movies ever. That's a long list. It is, but we're going to shorten that up. And then we're going to talk about movies or games that should have been movies. Okay. So to find out all about that, the link is up on the page. So go over to ochodoropoliar.com and check it out. Pad, that's all I got for this week. So for you, my friend. Uh, if you need something to watch this week, I highly recommend The Last Kingdom. Season 4 just dropped on Netflix, and it is amazing. Ooh, that is definitely worth checking out. So for Padawan J, I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Poly Hour. We'll see you next time. You won't be a hole with a hole in your heart Clinging to something that tears you apart Your body won't heal, you can't fix your mind The longer you wait, the longer you're wasting time And you won't get better You thought you stole the sun Now you're stuck in shitty weather
show.